Section three of Memoirs of the Court of Queen Elizabeth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of the Court of Queen Elizabeth, Volumes one and two, by Lucy Aiken. Chapter two, fifteen thirty six to fifteen forty two, part two. It is remarkable that the Protestant party at the court of Henry, so far from gaining strength and influence by the severities exercised against the adherents of Cardinal Pole and the ancient religion, was evidently in a declining state. The feeble efforts of its two leaders, Cromwell and Cranmer, of whom the first was deficient in zeal, the last in courage, now experienced irresistible counteraction from the influence of Gardiner, whose uncommon talents for business, joined to his extreme obsequiousness, had rendered him at once necessary and acceptable to his royal master. The law of the six articles, which forbade under the highest penalties the denial of several doctrines of the Romish Church peculiarly obnoxious to the reformers, was probably drawn up by this minister. It was enacted in the Parliament of 1539. A vast number of persons were soon after imprisoned for transgressing it, and Cranmer himself was compelled, by the clause which ordained the celibacy of the clergy, to send away his wife. Under these circumstances Cromwell began to look on all sides for support, and recollecting with regret the powerful influence exerted by Anne Boleyn in favour of the good cause, and even the gentler and more private aid lent to it by the late Queen, he planned a new marriage for his sovereign, with a lady educated in the very bosom of the Protestant communion. Political considerations favoured the design, since a treaty lately concluded between the Emperor and the King of France rendered it highly expedient that Henry, by way of counterpoise, should strengthen his alliance with the small Celtic League. In short, Cromwell prevailed. Holbein, whom the King had appointed his painter on the recommendation of Sir Thomas More, and still retained in that capacity, was sent over to take the portrait of Anne, sister of the Duke of Cleves, and rashly trusting in the fidelity of the likeness, Henry soon after solicited her hand in marriage. Quote, the Lady Anne, says a historian, understood no language but Dutch, so that all communication of speech between her and our king was intercluded. Yet our ambassador, Nicholas Wooten, doctor of law, employed in the business, hath it that she could both read and write in her own language, and so very well. Only for music, he said, it was not the manner of the country to learn it. It must be confessed that for a princess this list of accomplishments appears somewhat scanty and Henry, unfortunately for the Lady Anne, was a great admirer of learning, wit, and talents in the female sex, and a passionate lover of music, which he well understood. What was still worse, he piqued himself extremely on his taste in beauty, and was much more solicitous respecting the personal charms of his consorts than is usual with sovereigns. And when, on the arrival of his destined bride in England, he hastened to Rochester to gratify his impatience by snatching a private view of her, he found that in this capital article he had been grievously imposed upon. The uncourteous comparison by which he expressed his dislike of her large and clumsy person is well known. Bitterly did he lament to Cromwell the hard fortune which had allotted him so unlovely a partner, and he returned to London very melancholy. But the evil appeared to be now past remedy. It was contrary to all policy to affront the German princes by sending back their countrywoman after matters had gone so far and Henry magnanimously resolved to sacrifice his own feelings, once in his life, for the good of his country. Accordingly, he received the princess with great magnificence and with every outward demonstration of satisfaction, and was married to her at Greenwich in January 1540. Two or three months afterwards, the king, notwithstanding his secret dissatisfaction, rewarded Cromwell for his pains in concluding this union by conferring on him the vacant title of Earl of Essex, a fatal gift 
which exasperated to rage the mingled jealousy and disdain which this low-born and aspiring minister had already provoked from the ancient nobility by intruding himself into the order of the garter and which served to heap upon his devoted head fresh coals of wrath against the day of retribution which was fast approaching the act of transferring this title to a new family could in fact be no otherwise regarded by the great house of bowshire which had long enjoyed it than either as a marked indignity to itself or as a fresh result of the general tudor system of depressing and discountenancing the blood of the plantagenets from which the bowshers through a daughter of thomas of woodstock were descended the late earl had left a married daughter to whom according to the customary courtesy of english sovereigns in similar circumstances the title ought to have been continued and as this lady had no children the earl of bath as head of the house felt himself also aggrieved by the alienation of family honours which he hoped to have seen continued to himself and his posterity in honour probably of the recent marriage of the king unusually splendid jousts were opened at westminster on may-day in which the challengers were headed by sir john dudley and the defenders by the earl of surrey this entertainment was continued for several successive days during which the challengers according to the costly fashion of ancient hospitality kept open house at their common charge and feasted the king and queen the members of both houses and the lord mayor and aldermen with their wives but scenes of pomp and festivity had no power to divert the thoughts of the king from his domestic grievance a wife whom he regarded with disgust on the contrary it is probable that this season of courtly revelry increased his disquiet by giving him opportunities of beholding under the most attractive circumstances the charms of a youthful beauty whom he was soon seized with the most violent desire of placing beside him on the throne which he judged her worthy to adorn no considerations of rectitude or of policy could longer restrain the impetuous monarch from casting off the yoke of a detested marriage and as a first step towards emancipation he determined to permit the ruin of its original adviser that unpopular minister but vigorous and serviceable instrument of arbitrary power whom he had hitherto defended with pertinacity against all attacks no sooner was the decline of his favour perceived and what so quickly perceived at courts than the ill-fated cromwell found himself assailed on every side his active agency in the suppression of monasteries had brought upon him with the imputation of sacrilege the hatred of all the papists a certain coldness or timidity which he had manifested in the cause of religious reformation in other respects and particularly the enactment of the six articles during his administration had rendered him an object of suspicion or dislike to the protestants in his new and undefined office of royal vicegerent for the exercise of the supremacy he had offended the whole body of the clergy and he had just filled up the measure of his offences against the nobility by procuring a grant of the place of lord high steward long hereditary in the great house of the verres earls of oxford the only voice raised in his favour was that of cranmer who interceded with henry in his behalf in a letter eloquent touching and even courageous times and persons considered gardiner and the duke of norfolk urged on his accusation the parliament with its accustomed subserviency proceeded against him by attainder and having voted him guilty of heresy and treason left it in the choice of the king to bring him either to the block or the stake for whichever he pleased of these offences neither of which was proved by evidence or even supported by reasonable probabilities but against this violation in his person of the chartered rights of englishmen however flagrant the unfortunate earl of essex had forfeited all right to appeal since it was himself who had first advised the same arbitrary mode of proceeding in the cases of the marchioness of exeter of the countess of salisbury and of several persons of inferior rank connected with them on whom capital punishment had already been inflicted 
with many private virtues essex like his great master wolsey and like the disgraced ministers of despotic princes in general perished unpitied and the king and the faction of gardiner and of the howards seemed equally to rejoice in the free course opened by his removal to their further projects the parliament was immediately ordered to find valid a certain frivolous pretext of a prior contract on which its master was pleased to demand a divorce from anne of cleves and the marriage was unanimously declared null without any opportunity afforded to the queen of bringing evidence in its support the fortitude or rather phlegm with which her unmerited degradation was supported by the lady anne has in it something at once extraordinary and amusing there is indeed a tradition that she fainted on first receiving the information that her marriage was likely to be set aside but the shock once over she gave to the divorce without hesitation or visible reluctance that assent which was required of her taking in good part the pension of three thousand pounds per annum and the title of his sister which her ex-husband was graciously pleased to offer her she wrote to her brother the elector to entreat him still to live in amity with the king of england against whom she had no ground of complaint and she continued till the day of her death to make his country her abode through the whole affair she gave no indication of wounded pride unless her refusal to return in the character of a discarded and rejected damsel to the home which she had so lately quitted in all the pomp and triumph of a royal bride is to be regarded as such but even for this part of her conduct a different motive is with great plausibility assigned by a writer who supposes her to have been swayed by the prudent consideration that the regular payment of her pension would better be secured by her remaining under the eyes and within the protection of the english nation a very few weeks after this apparently formidable business had been thus readily and amicably arranged catherine howard niece to the duke of norfolk and first cousin to anne boleyn was declared queen this lady beautiful insinuating and more fondly beloved by the king than any of her predecessors was a catholic and almost all the members of the council who now possessed office or influence were attached more or less openly to the same communion in consequence the penalties of the six articles were enforced with great cruelty against the reformers but this did not exempt from punishment such as offending on the other side ventured to deny the royal supremacy the only difference was that the former class of culprits were burned as heretics the latter hanged as traitors the king soon after seized the occasion of a trifling insurrection in yorkshire of which sir john neville was the leader to complete his vengeance against cardinal pole by bringing to a cruel and ignominious end the days of his venerable and sorrow-stricken mother who had been unfortunate enough thus long to survive the ruin of her family the strange and shocking scene exhibited on the scaffold by the desperation of this illustrious and injured lady is detailed by all our historians it seems almost incredible that the surrounding crowd were not urged by a unanimous impulse of horror and compassion to rush in and rescue from the murderous hands of the executioner the last miserable representative of such a line of princes but the eyes of henry's subjects were habituated to these scenes of blood and they were viewed by some with indifference and by the rest with emotions of terror which effectually repressed the generous movements of a just and manly indignation in public causes to be accused and to suffer death were now the same thing and another eminent victim of the policy of the english tiberius displayed in a novel and truly portentous manner his utter despair of the justice of the country and the mercy of his sovereign lord leonard grey late deputy of ireland was accused of favouring the escape of that persecuted child his nephew gerald fitzgerald of corresponding with cardinal pole and of various other offences called treasonable being brought before a jury of knights quote, he saved them says lord herbert the labour of condemning him and without more ado confessed all 
which whether this lord who was of great courage did out of desperation or guilt some circumstances make doubtful and the rather that the articles being so many he neither denied nor extenuated any of them though his continual fighting with the king's enemies where occasion was pleaded much on his part howsoever he had his head cut off the queen and her party were daily gaining upon the mind of the king and cranmer himself notwithstanding the high esteem entertained for him by henry had begun to be endangered by their machinations when an unexpected discovery put into his hands the means of baffling all their designs and producing a total revolution in the face of the court it was towards the close of the year fifteen forty one that private information was conveyed to the primate of such disorders in the conduct of the queen before her marriage as could not fail to plunge her in infamy and ruin cranmer if not exceedingly grieved was at least greatly perplexed by the incident at first sight there appeared to be equal danger in concealing or discovering circumstances of a nature so delicate and the archbishop was timid by nature and cautious from the experience of a court at length all things well weighed he judiciously preferred the hazard of making the communication at once without reserve and directly to the person most interested and forming into a narrative facts which his tongue dared not utter to the face of a prince whose anger was deadly he presented it to him and entreated him to peruse it in secret love and pride conspired to persuade the king that his catherine was incapable of having imposed upon him thus grossly and he at once pronounced the whole story a malicious fabrication but the strict inquiry which he caused to be instituted for the purpose of punishing its authors not only established the truth of the accusations already brought but served also to throw the strongest suspicions on the conjugal fidelity of the queen the agonies of henry on this occasion were such as in any other husband would have merited the deepest compassion with him they were quickly succeeded by the most violent rage and his cry for vengeance was as usual echoed with alacrity by a loyal and sympathizing parliament party animosity profited by the occasion and gave additional impulse to their proceedings after convicting by attainder the queen and her paramours who were soon after put to death the two houses proceeded also to attain her uncle aunt grandmother and about ten other persons male and female accused of being accessory or privy to her disorders before marriage and of not revealing them to the king when they became acquainted with his intention of making her his consort an offence declared to be misprision of treason by an ex post facto law but this was an excess of barbarity of which henry himself was ashamed the infamous lady rockford was the only confidant who suffered capitally the rest were released after imprisonments of longer or shorter duration yet a reserve of bitterness appears to have remained stored up in the heart of the king against the whole race of howard which the enemies of that illustrious house well knew how to cherish and augment against a future day End of section three.